Welcome to Dustrious. Keep your dots rolling, your hit points counted, and your magic flowing. Buckle up, travelers. You're in for a ride. Welcome to Dustrious, a high fantasy, high magic homebrew world in the Pathfinder system with custom magic rules. This and Eldritch Dream Games production is made possible by our patrons, Tim Demuse, Wesley Sullivan, Brian Bridges, Brian Rafe, Donald Bewley, Eric S. Pat, and Robin Mims. We encourage you to stick around after this story to hear about the great projects these people are working on. But for now, let's get to today's episode. On the south edge of Valinor stands a grand cathedral adorned with magical fires and lights meant to resemble the sun. Intricate carvings of doves and the angelic anks are etched into the wood and stone of the building, both inside and out. The Dawnflower Cathedral is the most elaborate church of Saren Ray anywhere in the world, and is home to the highest members of her clergy. It is surrounded by the southern forest, and many people gather on its grounds for picnics and to escape the monotony of the city life that drones on not a 20-minute walk to the north. Most people consider it a sanctuary, a place of rest and refuge, but as Rosaline Vance stood just inside its boundaries, Staring at the massive structure, she was overcome with a sense of dread. She didn't belong here, and she knew it, but she could feel his presence behind her. She knew he stood at the boundary where the land became sanctified and watched, willing her to continue on. She shivered in the winter's cold wind and wrapped her shawl lightly around her shoulders before taking another step forward. Each stride forward seemed to take more effort than the last her legs feeling heavy as lead and her overly thin body weak with exhaustion. Looking at her pale, gaunt figure now, it would be hard to imagine what a beautiful elven woman she truly was. Her ebon hair had lost its beautiful sheen, and the sparkle had been drained from her storm-cloud-colored eyes. At least no one will recognize me, she thought to herself as she neared the door. She felt the baby within her belly give a swift kick as she stumbled forward the final few steps and pushed open the doors to the sanctuary. The warmth of the fires within seemed to rush at her as her head began to spin. Then everything went dark for a moment. When she opened her eyes again, she was laying on a pew in the worship hall, with three priests attending her. A kindly-looking elven man was speaking to her in her native tongue. It had been so long since she'd heard the language of her people, and she was tempted to answer him, but she immediately felt the pull in the back of her mind instructing her to keep quiet. Not a word. Those had been her instructions, and so she simply wept instead. Over the next few days, the priests attended to her closely. She was fed the heartiest foods and given a comfortable bed to sleep in. It seemed someone was always just outside her door, praying for her and her unborn child. The whole thing made Rosaline very ill at ease, but this is why she was here. The child she carried was still a few weeks away from being born, and already it was killing her. Priests such as these were their only chance of survival, and even then, it was not certain that both of them would survive. The kindly-looking elven priest, Father Arabar, had spent a couple of hours at her bedside explaining all this to her, but she had already known the truth. Still, she obediently kept quiet and let him tell her what she already knew. They would do their best to make sure her child was born during the day, so his lineage was less likely to plague him. They would do everything in their power to keep her from dying during the birth, but as the child was damp here, they could make no guarantees. She nodded slightly, so he knew his words weren't wasted, but she never looked at him, 
As she would not speak and give a name, Father Eridar took to calling her Amethat, an elven name meaning beautiful midnight. The elven priest seemed to always be within sight of her. She thought once how sad it was that such a caring man was wasting his energies worrying over her, and even felt a little guilty. But doing so made the voice inside her head grow louder. She quickly silenced her thoughts. She did not want to displease him. After all, when this was over, she and the baby would have to return home. Still, she could not help but to grow fond of Father Eridar, and to be somewhat envious of his life. She loved Marcin and longed to be back home with him, but she began to wonder if maybe her child could have a different life, a better one. At first the voice in her head screamed at such thoughts, leaving her clutching her temples and wailing. But every time it happened, Father Eridar would walk over and gently lay a hand on her forehead while uttering words she could not understand, and it would stop. Then one day, she noticed the voice did not come at all. It was midwinter when the labor pains began late one evening. Rosaline was terrified. She had been told that it would be painful, but nothing could have prepared her for this. The priests gathered and began casting protective circles and spells and praying for all manner of blessings. A midwife was brought in from the city to try and delay the birth until the sun rose, but the agony it caused left Rosaline near unconscious. It was finally decided that the birth would have to be allowed to proceed if they were going to be able to save her, and Gavin was born in the dead of night. Father Eridar never left her side during the whole ordeal, and he tried his best to comfort her. It was at some point during all this that Rosaline reached her final decision. She knew that disobedience would be harshly punished, that it might very well cost her her life. But looking up and seeing this kind man staring down at her, she knew it was the right decision. When everyone finally left her room, a weakened and exhausted Rosaline held the tiny bundle of blankets and baby close to her heart and cried. Leaving him behind would be the hardest thing she would ever have to do, but she would not fail him. She kissed the infant on his head and laid him on the bed. With tears in her eyes, she opened the small window in her bedroom and using what little strength she could muster, pulled herself through. The sun was not up yet, and she knew he would be waiting for her just beyond the edge of the sanctified land in the forest. She stumbled forward until she could walk no longer, and then crawled on hands and knees to the boundary. When she arrived at his feet and looked up, she could see the anger in his eyes. Where's my son? he demanded as the world swirled around her, and darkness overcame her vision. Father Eridar collapsed onto his bed. He hated leaving Amethat and the new baby alone, but he was too exhausted. For the last four weeks, he had spent every moment he could by the woman's side, often foregoing sleep and meals to watch over her. His imagination was incapable of reconstructing the horrors the poor woman must have faced in her recent past, and he did not want her to be alone when her time came. Now that it was over, he could finally get some rest at least for a few hours until the sun rose and everyone was called to morning prayers. He closed his eyes, and his mind was immediately filled with the images of her pale skin, covered in the telltale markings of a vampire's bite. There were so many of them. She must have been held by the creature for such a long time. He wondered how she had escaped. Slowly these thoughts faded from his head 
and he slipped into a dreamless sleep. It was barely two hours later when he was awoken by the high-pitched wailing of a new infant. He smiled to himself as he sat up groggily and wiped the sleep from his eyes. At first, he waited for the crying to stop, thinking that Amethat would soothe the child, but the crying continued. He climbed out of bed, slipping on his robe and slippers, and headed down the hall. He expected to find the new mother, trying unsuccessfully to appease this tiny new person who was unhappy with this new world. But instead, he found the baby laying in the middle of the bed alone, and a window pane clacking in the night's wind. Father Eridar ran to the window and peered out, but there was nothing to be seen except the swirling flakes of the first snowfall. Closing the window, he went and gathered the child in his arms. The infant quieted as the warmth of Father Eridar's body pressed close. He looked down at the little figure wrapped tightly in swaddling blankets. If not for his overly pale complexion, the child could easily be mistaken for a half-elf. He had his mother's dark hair and storm-cloud-colored eyes, and the lithe build of an elf. As the child moved about, Father Eridar noticed something tucked away into the blankets. He pulled out a tiny scrap of paper with elven script scrawled across it. Father Eridar, please take care of Gavin. I've no choice but to return, and you can offer him what I cannot. You can protect him. His father will come for him. Rosaline Vance Father Eridar dropped down to sit on the edge of the bed and let out a heavy sigh. Rosaline Vance. This could only mean one thing. In his arms he held the son of Marcin Vance, and this little baby was in great danger. He knew he would cry for Rosaline, for his Amathat, but not tonight. There was no time for tears tonight. He leaned down and kissed the little boy on the head, took a deep breath, and went to wake the other priests. By the time the sun arose over the Dawnflower Cathedral, everything was in place. Six paladins and two hunters stood ready to escort him and the child across the sea. A nursemaid had been found to accompany them. Passage had been secured through a noble member of the congregation, and there would be no other passengers on the ship. The crew had been tested twice over to ensure they were both living and free of any type of domination or outside control. Hopefully, with everything happening so swiftly, Marcin would not know what they were up to. And so it was that a very tired and weary priest set out for the city of Dunwich, with a babe who was only a few hours old. Father Eridar had never liked the city. He loved the natural setting of the Dawnflower Cathedral. The church at Dunwich sat in the middle of a sprawling cityscape where the people were constantly building upwards to prevent the city from spreading outside the walls. There was not a tree or blade of grass to be found within the city, and you could not turn around without bumping into someone. But for all its flaws, Dunwich was the safest city in existence. Within its 25-foot-tall borders, Wards of all kinds were kept in place. Even the most powerful of mages could use very little magic there, and supernatural creatures such as vampires had little hope of crossing into the city undetected. Despite his dislike of the landscape, he could think of no safer place to take Gavin and raise him. Upon arriving at the Everlight Church, Father Eridar met with the local priests and took his place within the Dunwich hierarchy. Gavin simply could not be raised the way other charges of the church were. It was too dangerous, both for him and for those who cared for him. A section of the top floor was turned over to Father Eridar for Gavin's upbringing. When he was old enough, he was given instructors, 
and tutors of paladins, hunters, and church clergy as outsiders were not allowed near him. While the congregation would gather on the first floor for services, Gavin's daily prayers and weekly sermons took place in a small chamber with only his guards and Father Eridar present. As he grew older, Gavin would often slip out and climb onto the roof of the skyscraper to sit and watch the hustle and bustle of the city below. Father Eridar struggled with how much to tell the child of his past, his parentage. He could see that the older Gavin grew, the more he realized he was living in a cage of sorts and he worried that the boy might try to escape. But he was also afraid that knowing the truth might cause problems as well. The darkness can be very alluring, especially for those whose blood is called to it. And the darkness was close. Father Eridar knew. Within weeks of their arrival in Dunwich, reports began coming into the church of vampire sightings and attacks on nearby farmsteads and ranches. There was little that could be done about it. Hunters had been trying to catch Marsin longer than the oldest elves could remember, but they always failed. The people living outside the city walls soon abandoned their homes and moved elsewhere, leaving the surrounding countryside a desolate place. Father Eridar carried considerable guilt over their plight, but there was nowhere else he could take Gavin and keep him safe. He was living in a cage as much as Gavin was, and for the time being at least, there was no way out. Eventually, Gavin grew old enough that he began pressing Father Eridar for answers as to why he couldn't leave the temple or even venture downstairs. He spent more and more time perched on the roof, waiting as life passed him by and wishing he could have some part in it. Father Eridar realized that he had no choice but to explain to the young man the circumstances surrounding his birth and the ongoing consequences of it. Gavin took the news better than Father Eridar expected at the time, but a change overcame him slowly. He began to spend more and more time studying the lore and legends surrounding vampires in general, and his father specifically. He was spending more and more time with the hunters, asking questions that troubled Father Eridar greatly. The priest started to worry that now that the boy understood what the constant call of his bloodline meant, he was drifting towards the darkness. But Gavin had something else in mind entirely. A few months later, Father Eridar returned upstairs after leading a service to find that Gavin had dismissed all his tutors, except for the hunters, and devoted himself to the study of becoming a kinslayer. Father Eridar was not happy about Gavin's choice. As a child, Gavin had always had a very kind and caring disposition, and now a hardness seemed to come over him. Hunters were often cold, seemingly uncaring men. They had to be given the things they saw, the monsters they fought. He didn't want that for Gavin, and he knew Rosaline hadn't wanted it for him either. But Gavin had made up his mind. Father Eridar spent many hours in prayer each day, begging Saren Ray to intervene and set the boy down a different path. In his heart, he loved Gavin like his own son, and he knew that if the young man meant to face Marsin, he would surely die. But it seemed that with every tear he shed, Gavin's resolve only strengthened. There was nothing he could do now, but trust Saren Ray would protect his beloved child. Gavin Vance stood atop the tall Everlight Church and looked out across Dunwich, past its intimidating walls to the countryside below. 
Somewhere out there was a man who had been waiting to meet him since his birth. A man who had stalked him, terrorized and killed the innocent people around him, and waited. Waited so long for him to emerge from the protection of the church and the city. His wait was almost over. For years now, Gavin had been training with the hunters that resided here at the church, spending hours questioning others that passed through on various missions. He had learned everything they could teach him, memorized every book, and spent hours conditioning himself to be as strong and fast as possible. He knew the odds were against him. Far better men had faced Marson and died, but he hoped he had an advantage that they lacked. He was Marson's son, and Marson wanted to see him. If he could get the vampire to let his guard down for just a single moment, maybe he could land the needed blow. And even if he failed and wound up dead like the rest, at least Marson would finally move on and leave these people in peace. Gavin sighed and flexed his hands, listening intently for sounds from below. Today was Father Eridar's turn at leading morning prayers in the main hall on the first floor. Typically, worshippers of Saren Ray held their services outside, but in a city where buildings were scarcely ten feet apart, it just wasn't an option. He paced nervously as he surveyed the building next door. If he messed this up, it was all going to be over before it started. A sound from below caught his attention. I'm heading down now, Gavin. Don't keep your priest in the chapel waiting. Father Eridar's voice called from the window directly under him. He listened closely for a few more moments until he heard the door close. And then, with a running start, he leapt for the building directly across from him. And he kept running, jumping, from building to building until he finally came to one with a small garden on the roof. After months of watching, he knew that the door here would be unlocked. He threw it open and began making his way hastily down the stairs. The pangs of guilt over leaving Father Eridar this way hit him immediately, and he tried to brush them aside. The priest was a good man and a loving father, but he would never understand why Gavin had to do this, and he would try to stop him. A few of the inhabitants of the building gave him odd looks as he continued to make his way downstairs, but Gavin just brushed by them. Once he finally emerged out the front door on the ground floor, he stopped to catch his breath. From down here, the city was a little disorienting. He had spent his entire life on the top floor of the church. As he craned his neck back to look up at the towering buildings above him, the world seemed to spin a little, and he had to shut his eyes. Everything looked so different from this perspective that it took him a few moments to get his bearings and continue on. After a couple of wrong turns and having to backtrack, he finally made his way to the main thoroughfare and began moving west, heading for the back wall of the city. In truth, he did not know if it was even the direction he needed to go. No one knew precisely where Marcin was hiding, but Gavin thought if Marcin was truly so determined to have him, He'd find him once he reached the woods outside the city. When he finally reached the wall, the gates were closed with two city guards standing nearby. Gavin was afraid they would try to stop him from leaving the city, but when they saw him approaching, they simply stepped aside, one of them mumbling something about another stupid hunter going to meet his death. For a brief moment, Gavin almost stopped and turned around. He talked to the other hunters and knew Marcin's tally was high. 
He really was in no hurry to die, but he couldn't sit back and let this go on either. Taking a deep breath, Gavin centered his thoughts on all those who were dead as a result of his birth and found his resolve. He walked towards the trees, stood about two miles from the city gates. Upon entering the woods, Gavin found himself a bit unsettled. Father Eridar often talked about how much he missed nature and how dreadful city life was, but Gavin couldn't have felt more ill at ease. The breeze that blew through the upper limbs caused the trees to creak and moan, and everywhere he looked seemed like a perfect hiding spot for some ominous creature. In fact, the only thing about the place he found pleasant was the smell. The earthy and sweet aromas that filled his nostrils seemed almost welcoming and far less offensive than some of the odors that would drift up from the city below his home. It was still very early in the day, and he had skipped out on his morning prayers to make his escape. So Gavin found a place where the sunlight danced in the forest floor beneath the swaying tree branches, and for the first time ever, prayed to Saren Ray out in an open space, as was intended. Had he been a more experienced hunter, Gavin probably would have seen the folly of his choice. But not only was he new to hunting, the entire world was new to him. In his eagerness to pray to his goddess under the open sky, he had forgotten that while vampires may not walk freely in the sunlight, those who do their bidding do. Something seemed to remember in that small moment between the painful whack at the back of his head and the darkness that followed. If only he had remembered sooner. When he next opened his eyes, he was no longer in the woods. The sweet earthy smells of the forest had been replaced with the smells of mildew and stone. He tried to sit up only to find that he had been strapped down to a table, heavy chains holding him in place. Someone was weeping in the far corner of the room. He could hear the ragged breaths of her sobs, her tears falling, splashing as they landed on top of each other, and her heartbeat. Gavin's screams echoed off the chamber walls as he realized what had happened, and then the hunger hit him. He struggled against his bonds, overcome with rage. How could this have happened? Where was Marcin? The woman in the corner stood up and walked over to him. No, no, no. The words that bounced around in his head seemed to issue forth from her lips. Rosaline knelt down next to her son as he struggled against his bonds. Gavin could see that she was speaking, but he could not make out her words. His ears were filled with the sounds of her heartbeat, and he struggled against the chains that held him in place, even though he didn't really want to be free. He knew what he would do to her if he broke loose, and the thought terrified him. Rosaline moved behind him, carefully raising his head slightly with one hand while bringing a golden chalice to his lips. Gavin was immediately struck by both a complete revulsion of what was happening and a strong desire to drink from the cup. For the next few weeks, Rosaline would care for her son as he struggled to come to terms with what he had become. She rarely spoke, and when she did, she said very little, and in such hushed tones that he could barely make out her words. Time after time, he would ask her what happened to Marcin, but she would only tear up and shake her head whispering quietly to herself. As he began to become more attuned to his new senses, he learned to listen to the few words uttered under her breath whenever she would mention his father's name. Over time, he pieced together, Rosaline had somehow managed to kill him when she walked in on him turning their son. 
Gavin quit pressing her after that. The details of Marcin's death didn't seem to matter and only served to upset Rosaline. He stayed with her only long enough to learn what he needed to know about his new existence. He would never know her whole story, but he didn't need to. Anyone could see she had suffered far too much in her life. When last he saw Rosaline, he had kissed her on the cheek and commanded her to return to Father Eridar and let the priest care for her. He watched her as she walked slowly through the darkened woods towards her destination, and he hoped he had done the right thing. Gavin knew he could not stay outside Dunwich. When Rosaline had reached the church and told Father Eridar what had happened, other hunters would come, and this time they would be hunting for him. He gathered what he needed, including the golden chalice, and set off in no particular direction. It would take a long time for him to come to terms with what he had become. Eventually, he managed to make something of a home for himself in the city of Middlesbrough. It was a difficult task at first, keeping the truth hidden from people. But over time, he settled into a somewhat complacent life and learned to get by. His existence was a mostly solitary one, until one night the fates intervened. And for the first time in over a century, Gavin Vance felt he might get a chance at happiness. Oh, hello there. It's Dick Horney. I want to give a quick thank you to Brian Bridges for sharing with us the tale of Gavin Vance. Also, to let you know to keep an ear out in the future for more of these stories exploring the various denizens of Hilltop is that wonderful patron step into our world. Thanks again for listening, travelers. I'll see you next time. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Dusters Podcast. My name is Don. I'm the voice of Brigord. I'm the GM in the Starfinder homebrew adventure Hexgrid Heroes. On the other side of the GM screen, I play Cory in Pokemon Seicho and Peleus in Ashes and Allomancy. I also like to sit around and talk with my friends about how horror movies can be used in a haunted house setting, and for that, check out Fountain of Fear. All of these podcasts can be found at hexgridheroes.com. Hey everyone. Thank you for listening to this episode. I'm Brian, the voice of Russell Clark, and I swear I'm not that much of an ass in real life. I just play one in podcast. In real life, I run Action Forge, a tabletop RPG YouTube channel where we dive into all sorts of topics. If you want to learn more, head over there and check it out. Also, if you want updates on all my various projects and some awesome tabletop RPG memes, go ahead and check me out over at Twitter where I'm at Action Forge. You go into a mining settlement called Fillmore's Crossing. It's about 30 miles outside of the control zone. Do y'all know what the control zone is? Of course we do. Oh, of course Naturally. I know what the control zone is. I mean, control, like, of course we know what the control yeah, zone is. You guys, you guys probably the, like wouldn't. the zone. You guys, where you get I fucking hate both of you. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> Some weird stuff's been going on in Fillmore's Crossing. We just got word that three days ago, Elma's wife, she tore the three kids limb from limb. 
and doesn't remember doing it at all. Sounds like it's like the, the Wild West out there. <laughs> LCP D&D is an actual play D&D 5e podcast. Our current adventure is set in the Wild West and features magic, orcs, vampires, and an all-original soundtrack. Listen in by searching for LCP D&D on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Podbean, Stitcher, and CastBox. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram, and even hang out with us in our Discord server, LCP D&D. If you'd like to become a patron, you can find us on patreon.com forward slash eldritchdream. We have a bunch of rewards for Dustress and Aeterna involved. You can also join us in the Hive, that's our Discord, linked in the episode description. You can also find links to our Tee Public, where we have tons of designs for various types of merch. Hit us up on Twitter or Discord. We love to hear from everyone and enjoy making new friends. And this is Last Call, so finish your drinks, and we'll see y'all next time.